Installment of the Campus Comics Cast. Uh, this is episode 95, closing in on episode 100 pretty quick. Uh, and this is Dan Brown, and I'm joined this time by Scott Reed and Mike Atchison. And uh, we are recording this episode uh, remotely from our homes, many, many miles away from each other. <laughs> uh, hopefully, someday we can go back to recording in the store. Who knows? <laughs> this may just be the way we do it from now on, too. Just so everybody can kind of participate. But uh, the store is open, and we are located at 816 East Main Street, Suite B, in Carbondale, Illinois. And uh, we are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 5. If you want to call the store, uh, the number is 618-457-6011. And, of course, as always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I think we're just going to jump right in. We got uh, a little bit of news today. We're recording this on Valentine's Day. And the new trailer for the Zack Snyder's Justice League has dropped today. So it's a, you know, not a teaser trailer like we got before, but more of like a full-length trailer for the uh, new version of the movie that's coming out on HBO Max. Uh, so I think we're just going to kind of give our thoughts here on uh, this new trailer that's dropped and see what everybody thinks. Uh, Who's going to go first? Well, I thought, you know, it was, I, you know, I probably should have watched it again before we did this, but it does look like the, uh, there's a sort of Batmobile, but it's almost like the Bat Tank from Dark Knight Returns in there, it looks like. So, again, we, we don't see a real good shot of that, but that is kind of what it looks like. We get a whole lot more of, like, the nightmare sequence stuff, yeah. you know, in this in this trailer. And I just wonder if they're... You know, I wonder if that's like all the clips of the additional clips for the nightmare sequence. Oh, yeah. again, an extended, yeah. you know, a lot more uh, nightmare world. I don't know what they're what are they actually calling that? Well, uh, it was Nightmare Batman. Yeah. You know, with that version with the duster and the goggles and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm going to call it. OK. All right. I just make sure I wasn't, you know, way off on. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the name for it would be. But uh yeah, so, you know, originally, this was supposed to be two movies, and so I'm wondering of how much of that is in here, because it looks like we've got a lot of dark side in here. I wonder if this is, maybe that's part of the reason for the length of the film, too, you know, where they're splitting it up into four parts, like a miniseries. Is that is this going to be what was supposed to be Zack Snyder's Justice League 1 and 2? You know, because there's a lot of new stuff in here. With there being four hours of material, you know, yeah. it's it's definitely a possibility. Though I I feel like it's not quite it wouldn't quite be two DC cinematic films at four hours. I think you'd need if it was more like five hours. I think right. we'd be talking about two DC yeah. cinematics. But at at four, I feel like it's a just extended run of you know one yeah. movie. So, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to see there's that much new material. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the of the original release, you know, with Josh Whedon, you know, 
jumping in and directing the the movie or changing things up to just look like a mismatched movie. And yeah. but after after seeing, I have to say, this trailer is is what I've been looking for. It's just really it, it's weed and free. Um, <laughs> it looks like. Um, I mean, even though I had issues with the Man of Steel and and Batman versus Superman, I kind of can see that Snyder did have a long game in plan. And if fans, including myself, had had the patience to watch that transformation of the individual heroes into the the pantheon that they became or that they were supposed to come or become, you know, we would have been pretty happy with the results. That's my anticipation with this movie or this this four mini movies, whatever they're going to be. I think it looks pretty good. Um, and I'll, I'll leave that last scene up to what you guys talk about first, but, uh, I, I, I was interested in that as well. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, the people who are fans of man of steel and, and Batman V Superman, this is going to be, you know, more of what they want to see. But the problem is that there are so many people you know, who are quote unquote DC fans that despise those two movies and despise anything that Zack Snyder's associated with. I really like Zack Snyder's stuff. So I'm really looking forward to this because you could, I mean, I, at the time and now Joss Whedon's got all this baggage going along with him and, you know, mm-hmm. how he's his apparent behavior on the set of going all the way back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But, you know, I liked his Avengers. But, you know, it didn't it didn't work for me for the DC characters like, you know, what we had from Snyder. So and I know you I mean, I love Man of Steel. Um, You know, that's in my opinion. That is that is the best of the Superman films. And I've even including the Christopher Reeves stuff in there. So, yeah, um, I would rather watch Man of Steel than go back and watch, you know, Christopher Reeves as Superman. I know that's sacrilegious, but um, it, it just to me, it just stands up as a film. Whereas like that Christopher, the first two Christopher Reeve Superman films, which most people tend to love, both of those movies fall apart at the end for me. Uh, they just get, you know, they just yeah. get silly. So, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this and the darker. And I, you know, one of my big complaints was Jesse Eisenberg. I'm, I can't know if I'm saying his name right is. As um as I guess Alex Luther wasn't actually really Lex Luther. I guess depends on how you interpret that. Yeah, you know that character. Um, he really bothered me the first time I watched that movie, and and now, um, um, well, I guess that would actually be for Batman v Superman. But now that craziness where we have a world where Dark Side's coming in, I feel like it makes a little bit more sense. Um, and it hasn't, and on subsequent watches, it hasn't bothered me as much. So we even get a little bit of that voiceover here in this um, Snyder Justice League trailer. Yeah from him so and it it feels right to me yeah so i feel like dan or uh scott you represent i think a lot of non-dc truists uh will be more accepting of the snyder man of steel movie um it's it's those of us that were like wow this is not doesn't i mean the whole snapping of general zod's neck and this just doesn't represent that that hero to us but like I said, uh, if we had had the benefit of foresight and knew that this, that that was going to be the first of many movies leading up to a second Justice League movie where you see this transformation in in Superman um, from that dark, gray, bitter, confused person into 
part of this, you know, brighter, better world coming up, I think we there would have been more um, tolerance of it. Yeah, but, and that's the, that's the scene that everybody brings up is that he snaps Zod's neck. That's oh, that's not my Superman because Superman never kills, and that's yeah. that's always the scene that they bring up. And and my response is that what? So he should have just let Zod, you know, fry those people. No. I mean, I agree with you. Are, no, but I, I would say there's another solution beyond just lethal force to that problem. I don't know what it would have been in that situation if Zod is his physical. He had him, he had him, he had him locked up fly up in the air through the roof with him all zod had to do literally was turn his eyeballs a little bit and it was done you know i mean and then the other complaint i hear is like oh well it's just it's just you know uh uh, uh oh, i can't remember what the turn the turn that they use is like carnage porn or something like yeah. that just yeah. like violent porn or whatever like that it's like well superman would have got him out of the city it's like if Superman leaves the city, that's where they want to be. He's not; they're not leaving the city because that's where they want to be at, you know. So I didn't, I didn't have a bunch of problems. Disaster porn. There we go. Yeah, and it it's was. just like, and again, Snyder talked about that too. Is just you know, kind of wanting to build the scale of the action and you know what they were doing. You know, my only problem, it, my only problem with that kind of part of the movie is that uh, conveniently everybody got out of there in time, and I don't think that would be the case, you know. But again, I think you'd have a whole other set of complaints if Metropolis was full of people while that was going on. Well, but we saw the ramifications of that in Batman v Superman. Yeah, you know, I had a little bit. Yeah, I had less issues with Batman of Steel than I did with BVS. BVS had some. Whoa, I mean, just some, you know, cringe-worthy mistakes. But again, I think knowing if we'd have known then what we know now, it, it probably would be looked at a little bit differently. Yeah. And then ironically, you know, when we what we didn't like, what we what we thought we wanted with a Justice League movie. Well, yeah, they gave it to us and it just didn't fit. Oh. It just doesn't fit with this group of heroes or with this world. It doesn't. And that's that's the shame of it. I think Warner Brothers being the big corporation just got, um, you know, they got fidgety and said, oh, change it up. Just like it was Suicide Squad. Well, we're getting we're getting to this and, you know, the Marvel movies have done this where they are starting to mock themselves. I don't know any other way to to describe it other than, you know, it's, uh, they're they're becoming less and less serious, you know, and that and as they become less and less serious. And, you know, Thor Ragnarok is a good example of that. Mm. I know so many people who love that movie. And that's like one of my least favorite, you know, Marvel movies. Because there's no, it's it's just it's nonsense, um, and it's like I like they it's like uh but you know D Warner Brothers saw the success of those movies it's like oh well let's make you know Justice League a little bit more lighthearted oh let's bring in Joss Whedon he did Avengers and you know that's supposed to solve all the problems and it, it doesn't you know uh, a, a more serious film is probably not going to be you know the big money maker but I think it's just going to be a better movie. You know, I will, you know, I'll, I'll rewatch re those, those Snyder ones. And, and I guess I should, you know, clarify that when I talk about Batman v Superman, I'm not talking about the theatrical release of Batman v Superman. I always rewatch the extended, yeah. you know, version of Batman v Superman where it's not quite as, you know, chopped up. It's so like he's got a little bit more time to tell that story. I feel like, and I think that makes a big difference. Right. 
were there any scenes in this trailer that really stuck out to you guys that you were had comments on? You get a lot more of the black suit Superman in this in the trailer. You know, that's that's one thing. Uh, you know, I already mentioned the Jesse Eisenberg, you know, voiceover. Um, I liked. Um, I know he's not your favorite actor or favorite character, but um, Flash. I'm assuming that's uh, Iris Allen that he saves. I would think so. Yeah, I, I think so. I think she's probably that. Iris West at this point. Or Iris West, yeah, correct. <laughs> right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Look at you throwing some, <laughs> knocking me out on some DC trivia there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I do like. You know, they've got you know all the all the same characters. It looks like um, crud, and now I'm just blanking on his name. More. Was that? No, no. Um, uh, Your favorite character, Aquaman? No, <laughs> I would remember Aquaman just out of spite. Um, the uh, Dark Sides, you know. Uh, oh, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. Why I cannot come up with Steppenwolf for some reason. Looks like we're going to get a little bit more Steppenwolf, so I think that character, his motives and stuff, should hopefully become a little bit clearer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I, I can't. I mean, we're obviously not going to get a big fight scene with Darkseid in 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 this uh, cut because that would. I, well, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but that would mean. I want to see. Change. I want to see his Omega beans work once. Yeah. <laughs> Just that zigzaggy, well, Kirby look. I mean, it also looks like we're getting Desaad and Granny Goodness in there. I mean, I guess I missed. I missed Granny Goodness. Yeah, there's a. There's sort of a quick three shot where they kind of where they're walking up a ramp or something, and it cuts to dark side, and then it looks like to the left of him, I assume that's oh. God, and then to the right, I think that's supposed to be Granny Goodness. But again, there's it's not she's kind of in shadow. There's not like a clear oh. shot of her there. Yeah, I'm I got a freeze frame right here. I can see it. I, I still I, I, I don't know if they said that's who it is, but I mean that's my take on it. I can see I the like, sod. I don't feel like that's granny goodness, but that gray whitish yeah, hair. Maybe. Yeah, Gosh. she's not. She's not as portly as what I would expect her to no, be. But I guess that's probably what it is. I would. I would. You know, it probably is granny goodness. But... A, I, I think. Yeah, this is the Zack Snyder version. Yeah. You know, the character, like everything else, we're getting. I would. I would put it more as like a female, one of the female furies or something. But you're probably right. It's probably granny goodness. Yeah, she's more of a, a first line deputy of. Dark side than one of the Furies or any other female apocalypse character, I think. You know, the, the, we were talking about Cyborg, and the one thing that really sticks out is that he still looks like he's wrapped in crinkly aluminum foil instead of that sleek metal. And I know they showed it it transforming. I don't know if that was sort of at the end of the first Justice League movie or or what, but you know, that was I just don't like that look. And that's my biggest like fan pet peeve. I I have not seen Cyborg, you know, trans translated out of the comic books, and this includes animated, other than maybe Teen Titans Go, that I've actually really really liked. Um, and I think a lot of that gets tied back to you know with uh, New Fifty Two, where they try to make him like a, a pivotal part of the Justice League. Yeah. As opposed to just kind of letting him be a letting him be a titan, um, so yeah, I I, I, I agree with that. I didn't like that retcon where they made him, you know, you know, one of the original members, and 
you know, I like the whole history with the Titans. I like the look in the Titans. I don't like him looking like a robot except for part of his face. I liked where he had part of his limbs actually showing flesh. But, um, yeah. yeah, we're way past that. Now, I also, I also, I mean, even though the power set makes it interesting, him having a connection to a mother box, they mm-hmm. overplay that all the time. It's like he's a walking mother box now. Yeah. And it makes him their less machina, you know, just some random yeah. power that can get him out of any situation. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I did that's like, I mean, one, one, <laughs> what's that? That's, that's what Superman's for. <laughs> right. Right. One version I liked of him in recent years was in the deceased series. And, you know, he was, he was, but because they played him up as a weakness because he was infected with this virus. And um, yeah. So in the right, I mean, it's like any character, uh, if we in the right writer's hands is going to be uh, be fine, but yeah. Well, should we talk about the the big reveal at the end of the trailer, or is there something else we need to say before that? Uh, I think that's it. I mean, is there anything else anyone want to bring up? I mean, I think yeah. So they released some photos before the trailer drop showing uh, Jared Leto's Joker. Is also in this cut of the film, so we've got him back now, and uh, and it does look like he's in the nightmare sequence part of it. So now it looks like he's in a straight jacket to me. I mean, is that what it looks like to you? Well, I was I couldn't tell if it was that or almost like a bulletproof vest or something maybe. Yeah, it could look uh, like he has something around his neck, but I can't tell if that's just like. The yeah. lighting, you know, the lens flare that's on his neck, or if that's... It's not, it's not the clearest shot. No, even when you pause it, you know, kind of go frame by frame, you know, it uh, it's not real clear, but... Um, You're talking about the, the, yeah, you the know SWAT what? jacket? He's a gun. Yeah, he's carrying a gun, isn't he? Yeah, he's got a SWAT jacket on with yeah. all the accoutrements with that. It's just the way he's got his arms crossed in front of him. It looks like they're bound in front of him. They're, he's not really sitting very natural oh. in that shot, I guess, is what's throwing me. But, but yeah, it's right. done in his lap. It does look like a more uh, restrained version of the Joker than what we got in Suicide Squad. Yeah, he looks less um, gangsterish and more more Heath Ledgerish. And I think that to me that makes sense because if you, it literally is a night wor- nightmare world, <laughs> you know, that almost right. makes Joker look a little bit more sane. <laughs> um, but. I, you know, I just think that uh, I think Jared Leto's a pretty good actor. I've enjoyed him in several things, you know, like Blade Runner 2049. And, um, I, you know, I just the Suicide Squad was not a good introduction to him. And, you know, yeah. I don't know. I I like that version <clears throat> of Joker in that. I liked him in that. Uh, I know it's obviously not for everybody. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, we have different interpretations of the character. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they had a. You know, pretty long shadow there, you know, because first you have Jack Nicholson and then after that you've got Heath Ledger. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, they had to come up with something different. They had to differentiate the role, you know, from the previous actor. Yeah. I don't fault Jared Leto as a as an actor. I think he played it up the way he intended and it worked, but it's just my not my preference. I mean, Joker's just one of those characters where it it plays favorably for different interpretations. Yeah, it's going to be accepted by people. Um, I really didn't. Yeah. So I, I wasn't aware there was an actual meme on what he said in this in this last scene. Oh, I haven't seen that. So. Well, I, 
I'll let Dan talk about it if he no. Okay, so he says we live in a society in a society, and that you hear that before the scene, before you even see him. And then he says, where honor is a distant memory. And then he turns around and says, isn't that right, Batman? Um, but apparently this we live in a society has got some sort of big, it's it's a big, I don't know if it's a political statement or if it's just something that's popular on memes. I'm not exactly a meme guy, but when I'm looking at all this stuff, I, I found a, an article where that was, um, there was apparently some resonance with fans or with people in the, the wider internet that said, wow this is this is a statement man this is this is this is uh awesome so here i am i'm the 54 year old guy you younger guys are supposed to be able to say yeah that's right that is a big deal dan (laughs) (laughs) anyway maybe one of our um our listeners will write in and tell us more about that on the forums I think my issue is that I only ever watched the Suicide Squad once because I have, you know, zero positive memories about that movie. I just think it was it was just such a a negative experience for me in the theater. I mean, you could because you just you just felt them trying to, you know, copy Guardians of the Galaxy with that movie and it just fell flat on its face. Um, And I probably need to sit down and watch that again and, and, you know, tune out the rest of it and pay much more attention to. Um, to Jared Leto as the Joker because he he definitely you know if there's a highlight to that movie it's him, um, and and you know and, and like and the Nicholson portrayal of Batman was you know it was good for the time that's not the Batman that I want to see you know now or excuse me not the Joker I want to see now um, and the Heath Ledger version I I, I you know I kind of feel like it's easy to to play crazy that that way. So I often feel like the I'm, this is I get myself in trouble here, but I think the Ledger, his portrayal by Ledger was not like it's a big, uh, you know, Oscar award-winning performance. Despite sorry, I gotta go. Think. Sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you know, I get that. That's uh, I think I mean, almost, almost always what happens when you have an actor pass away. Mm-hmm. Uh, about I mean, you're going to get a natural natural fan outpouring and say oh it was the greatest thing ever so i i'm curious if he would have lived if there would have been as much appreciation for the for the role and the job he did but either way i thought it was pretty he's done some pretty good stuff in other movies though too so yeah yeah i that's far from heath ledger's best role is what i'm trying to say okay Uh, well was that everything we had to say about the new uh snyder cut trailer (laughs) Well, that was way more than I had in my notes, so yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's one of the few superhero movies we're getting right now. And again, you know, with... March 18th, right? Yeah, March 18th is when it starts. And I think, is it weekly, have they said? I assume it's weekly, I thought that's that's what the original press release had in it. Um, But again, with, you know, COVID and everybody's production schedules being out of whack. We're not getting a lot of superhero movies coming out and, you know, we know some are on the way, but you know, we have release dates that don't really mean a lot anymore. Uh, so it's probably going to be a while before we get any superhero movies other than that. So, you know, we thought we'd take a look at an older superhero movie, you know, since we're not getting too many right now. 
and uh, we all kind of went back and watched uh, 1991's The Rocketeer. So uh, if you haven't seen that, you should, first off. Absolutely. But uh, it is uh, available for streaming uh, now on Disney+. Plus. If you have that service, you can check it out there. Uh, yeah, so this is Dave Stevens' creator-owned comic. And I know I know people that just know the movie. They weren't aware that it was even a comic book to begin with. So, well, it had such a you know a weird publishing history with Pacific yeah. because it started off in Star Slayer number two as a backup story, mm-hmm. um, and then it went on into Star Slayer three, and then it goes over to Pacific Presents one and two, and then it wraps up the initial story in a Rocketeer special. Yeah. So it's just it the publishing history for it is just all over the place. I mean, you had to really look forward to find it yeah and there's no and there's not that much of it either no 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 there's not a lot of rocketeer stuff out there so it's easy to kind of overlook it it doesn't barrage you monthly on the stands like you know the other superhero books that you get out of dc and marvel which, and of which course since Dave stevens passed in what 2008 eight. yeah and again and, and, and that's a shame too because it's mm-hmm. quality stuff oh my goodness but he was he was his own worst enemy. I, I remember reading that he he was such a perfectionist that he couldn't put put out stuff you know very frequently just right. because he held himself to a, such a high standard. Well, I, I mean, got feel like that kind of shows though too in his work. You know, like yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah. Um, and he always he he is credited as a co-producer on the movie too. So yep. You know, watching it again for this, I was thinking like, man, this sticks really close. Yes. Book, especially for the time. Now, yep. you know, younger listeners here may not realize this, but we also, we, you know, comic accurate movies were not the thing until recently. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a Punisher movie where he did not have the skull on him anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the like, and as that as an example, the you know the writers and director were like, well, can we, you know, one the last scene, can you put the you know paint the skull on his chest? No. Yeah. Can we do a close-up of his knife? And there's a skull emblem on the end of the knife. No. They just wanted nothing, yeah. you know, to tie it into the comic. Right. And, <laughs> uh, again, this is sort of coming in the wake, you know, post-Batman 89. Um, and we have uh, Bilson and DeMio, I think, were the screenwriters for this. And they would do the Flash TV show, too, right around the same time. And, uh, you know, we have Joe Johnston directing this, who would go on to direct Captain America, the first Avenger. And I got to think the Rocketeer is a big part of how he got that movie. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Similar, you know, era of, you know, superhero period piece. Period piece, yep. Um, You know, there's a lot of similarities to that movie here. I feel like it'd be a good double feature with the Rocketeer. um, To the point where I feel like, you know, even the Alan Arkin PV character... Is very reminiscent of Erskine in Captain America, the first Avenger. You know, Stanley Tucci even kind of looks like him a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Characters look very similar. Uh, but, yeah, I think the biggest deviation for me, you know, in there is that, you know, Betty becomes Jenny. Jenny, yeah. yeah. This, and um, Do you think that there maybe were some issues for the movie with – you know, I don't know, with a state of Betty State Betty Page's estate or something and that they well, just felt like that was too She was already she, she was, was still still alive. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, she, and by then I thought I know at some point Dave Stevens struck up a friendship with yeah. her with the real Betty Page. So uh, So there's a few things going on there, I think. I believe the official the official reason given was 
they didn't want to have to worry about likeness rights and you know payments and stuff like that. Which once you watch the movie, I don't feel like that holds a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you have character, you have actors playing Howard Hughes, yep. um, Clark Gable, and W. C. Fields, Fields have cameos, mm-hmm. and you know they're called out by name. Um, you know, I feel like Betty Page also had some uh, mental health issues around the time. Yeah. So I think that might have played a factor. I think just her history and her, you know, reputation, for lack of a better word. They probably didn't want that in the Disney movie. Yeah, they. I don't think Disney wanted to be associated with that. Um, Point. You know, I would just hope that, you know, if we ever get a new Rocketeer reboot movie or something, I would hope they would be fine calling the character Betty at this point. You know what I mean? And Jennifer Connelly did not even, I mean, her appearance, she didn't have the bangs like the Betty. You easily could have made her look more like Betty Page. Oh, easily. Yes, yes. And I got to think that was a conscious choice. Right. Oh, yeah. The other thing, too, uh, Lothar, that character, that whole appearance is based on the actor Rondo Hatton. Yeah, I've seen that. Who suffered from acromeglia. And there is a a companion souvenir magazine for this movie that came out around the time of its release. And there's an article in there that details how they made that actor look like Rondo Hatton. So the whole likeness rights thing, you know, I just don't feel like holds up, you know. Um, but did that, Ron, but that, that Lothar remind you of anyone else in a movie before? I mean, I didn't even know of this Rondo Hatton, although when I seen his picture, I thought, wow, that, that likeness. Yeah. That, and the, you know, the makeup was done really well. But who did that character and in his role, what he did in the movie, what did that remind you of? For me, it'd be Jaws from 007 from the Bond movie. Exactly. Um, yes. Well, yes. I, I, yeah, I, I could see that. I am familiar with Rondo Hatton, though, so I gave everybody to be a Rondo Hatton. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Mystery Science Theater fans will know him as uh, the Brute Man uh, from that movie. Oh, and, okay. Uh, there is a uh, horror award every year called the Rondo Awards that you can vote in. I try to vote in it every year. Um, you know, the little statue is, you know, him. Um, but, yeah, again, just someone who died too young because of his physical condition, but, again, just a really... Uh, sort of intimidating screen presence that, you know, Dave Stevens obviously picked up on, like, this character is in the comics. Mm-hmm. Too, you know, and it's obviously based on Hatton, and, you know, that carried over to the film. Um, I think more recent examples are, I believe, that Andre the Giant had the same condition, and, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now, but the wrestler, The Big Show, has sort of the same thing, but I believe they were able to, like, I think he was able to have surgery and so he's expected to have a longer lifespan, you know, than some of the other guys that have had that. So, well, uh, some of the other characters or actors in this movie, I I really like Alan Arkin. He, I think he uh-huh. really made. To, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Little Miss Sunshine, where he played oh, the grandpa. Yeah, that was it. Was sort of a uh, what do you call it a. a I don't know, uh, not a mainstream movie, but it got a lot of Oscars. Maybe it won an Oscar. I don't know, but um, I really liked him in that. And I, you just, he's one of those actors. He gets into the role and you almost forget all the different parts he plays because he oh, just yeah. becomes that role. And uh, another character, the guy that played Howard Hughes, Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, I, I've loved him. And now he's one I remember and recognize everywhere I see him because he was a favorite of mine as John Locke in Lost. And, uh, and he's in you know, several episodes of the X Files. Mm-hmm. 
you know, prior to that is, or was he in several, he's in at least one. That's where I remember him from is versus the X-Files. And he was in a movie called the stepfather too. <laughs> okay. Also, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. It's a little, he played, um, yeah. <laughs> he played the mayor in my favorite movie of all time, Tombstone. And he was also in young guns. So I guess, I don't know. I've, I've liked him all along. He's a so. character actor who's been in tons and tons and tons of stuff. Yep. Yeah. 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 He's really good. Yeah, this movie is a smorgasbord of uh, character actors. Yes, it, it really is. is. Paul Salvino. Because I wouldn't say Timothy Dalton, the character actor. <laughs> right. But yeah, John Polito in there. Uh, Eddie Jones, who uh, would later play uh, Jonathan Kent on uh, Lois and Clark. Oh, okay. And there's the um, the uh, guy who kind of does the clown act to cover for Cliff that he then has to save. Uh, Margot Martindale, she's been on a ton of stuff, especially some good TV shows these last few years. But yeah, you just got a whole bunch in there. I'm trying to. The, there's the one guy, yeah, uh, William Sanderson, I think. He was the one that was also in Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner. He played the um, like the guy who had the degenerative, degenerative aging disease, and the replicants found him to try to get his help in Blade Runner. Um, He's been in, he's he's good in this. What's so a much smaller part? Yeah. yeah, just a ton of good actors in here. Uh, yeah, yeah if, you watch, my, if you watch many movies, you will you'll like most scenes. It's like, oh, I know that person from some other. Yeah, movie. yeah. And and yeah, we kind of glossed over Timothy Dalton there as Neville Sinclair, but yeah, just a really great performance. And again, at this point, he's still Bond. You know, he's still James Bond. You know, when this movie comes out. As we're still a couple years away from the Pierce Brosnan movies, um, you know, I, I you mentioned W. C. Fields. Uh, I had, a, I mean, I laughed out loud when I heard that line. I mean, just hearing him talk and realizing who he was whenever he introduced himself to Jenny. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really glad you guys. I mean, I'm ashamed to say I never seen this before, and this is like one of many movies that superhero-based movies that I you would think I would watch, but I just have never made time for. Um, so yeah, I, 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 this one, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. And again, oh, and you know, Paul Sorvino in there mm-hmm. as sort of the mobster boss. And again, this is like right after Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he had, you know, the year before he was lips manless in the Dick Tracy, the Warren Beatty film. Oh, he was in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a lot of, you know, one of the villains under a lot of makeup, but he's in that too. <laughs> Right around this time. Well, the 30s is one of my favorite eras for movies. I mean, all the gangsters and the lead up to World War II and all that stuff. So uh, it it made it even more enjoyable, I think. Yeah, you talked earlier about, you know, um, with the crossover with the first Avenger. But I think what would be interesting to me, I think would possibly a better crossover would be with Indiana Jones. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yes, I was watching it today. Because <laughs> they're always fighting definitely, Nazis, so <laughs> yeah, definitely thematic and you know the sort of pulp roots of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Only Nazis can make the FBI and the mafia team up against. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's just a fun kind of story point they in there too. You know when that happens because you don't really see that coming, right? You know, right. But, like, yeah, the gangsters still consider themselves Americans, and you know. Uh, I always uh, I always thought of the Rocketeer like uh, Adam Strange with that rocket thinking, OK, in real life, if there was really such a thing, it'd burn his heels off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I, even the effects being as kind of, you know, they were dated and stuff, but that made that was part of its charm. 
I I really thought it was kind of cool the way you know he was really an amateur. He was had this really powerful rocket. He could barely control it. So right, man. Yeah, and I would I wouldn't be opposed to a special edition that kind of cleans up some of the blue screen. You know, mm-hmm. right. And again, norm, normally I'm totally against that kind of treatment. But again, I feel like it would just the effects are pretty seamless otherwise. Yeah. I think the only, the only other thing that kind of sticks out for me is sort of the character makeup for the Lothar character where the mask isn't as articulate as it should have been, you know, I just, I appreciate how faithful they were to the, for lack of a better word, costume, you know, with the jacket and the helmet and it's all, you know, it looks pretty good. Now the, the rocket pack in the movies much larger than the rocket pack in the yeah. uh, in and, the book and it's a much different design mm-hmm. you know too and again i saw the movie as a kid i saw the movie first so i always sort of prefer the two rocket design mm-hmm. but again i realized that wasn't dave stevens original version you know uh, yes yeah, it was years after the movie came out before i discovered the comic book yeah so years <laughs> well, it's got it had me get get i've got that hardcover uh, collection and I watched, I read that a couple years ago, and this movie made me get it out and flip through it again. And again, I think if you know, speaking of the costume being so faithful, I got to think part of that is going to be Dave Stevens' influence on it too. I think probably how sure. the story is so faithful to begin with is you know he was one of the producers on the film, so I'm sure he had a say yep. yeah. in you know how things progressed. And again, just the just the fact that it's still a period piece, I think, is a testament to that. You well, know, the litmus. One of the litmus tests for me is as to the quality of a superhero movie is whether my wife would like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as its durability or it's uh, the audience that would reach, I think she would really like this movie if, if she'd watch it. So, well, the, the first time I saw this in, in the theaters, I saw it. I think we were actually, I forgot what year it came out. 91? When did it come out? 91. 91. Okay. So we were actually still dating, my wife and I. Um, and she actually went to the show. Of course, you know, at that point, you know, I could say, oh, we need to watch Star Wars. And she'd say, yes. Now, if I were to say, we need to watch Star Wars, she'd say, you watch it. I'll, I'll do something <laughs> else. Um, but uh, but she watched this. And like about a year or so ago, it's like I said, hey, I don't think I'm going to sit down and watch a Rocketeer again. And she actually sat down and watched it with me. You know, oh, so, cool. so she had even enjoyed it, you know, enough from back then to be willing to watch it again. Yeah, so that's definitely it's it's definitely something that you could that it's broader appeal, I guess, than just comic book fans. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Timothy Dalton's character, Neville Sinclair, I think is a pretty interesting part in this, too. And uh, the thing is, it's a very Errol Flynn character. And if you look at some of the history of Errol Flynn, it, it's even more so. And it's even kind of creepier where there were rumors that he was a Nazi sympathizer. I don't, that was just sort of a crazy autobiography that someone wrote years after his death. <laughs> I don't think there was any merit to that, but it's just kind of one of those rumors that circulates about the actor. Um, the creepy thing is he did have secret uh, compartments in his house and secret rooms and things like that. And two-way, <laughs> and two-way mirrors in very inappropriate rooms. <laughs> so, I mean, that part's true, you know, like the house went up for sale and, you know, that kind of stuff was just kind of came out, I think, or, you know, people already kind of knew in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, just you can un- totally understand why they changed that character. <laughs> you know, they don't call him Errol Flynn because that's definitely a lawsuit. Yeah. There, but, uh, yeah. 
the diner. I like how they were faithful to the representation of the diner, you know, in in the movie as compared to the comic. And uh, of course, now they did, you know, Dave Stevens was a bit of a cheesecake artist. Yeah. Um, they obviously toned that down. Yeah. Um, or the Disney film, you know, so well, I mean, there's still a little bit of that with Jennifer Connelly. But, yeah, not as much as had Dave Stevens directed this movie. There'd be a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I mean, Jennifer Connelly just being Jennifer Connelly is uh, that's half the, you know, half the battle there to get to that. It's just they didn't exploit it. Yeah. And again, I feel like if they'd stuck closer to the sort of Betty version of the character there, you know. If they if they made this movie now, I would expect to be, there to be more of that in there. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of a yeah. way. And that's one of the things they changed. Really, in the comics, she was more of a model, whereas yeah. here in the movie, she's a, she's more so trying to be an actress. You know, you don't have the you don't have the the blimp. You know, in the in the comic, you know, it was like another plane. Um, but so, but I think it I, it it works. You know, I think it still works really, really well. Yeah, I feel so. like it just kind of raises stakes too, and it, I feel like it's good for the ending because it's not just another plane. Yeah. You know, because we've had several scenes with planes over the course of the movie. Was and the name of his for, plane the same, Scott? The GB? I don't remember. It's been I I wanted to I meant to read this again before, um, and I I don't remember. It's been it's been a while since I've read the comics. So I'd have to flip through and try to. Yeah, find I, it. I I didn't have a chance to go through it in detail, but yeah, you know. And so, but it's and now um, after if you if you you know, there's not tons and tons of Rocketeer stories out there, um, but one that is pretty good that's kind of recent is there's uh, uh, Mark Wade and Chris Somney yeah. did a trade called Cargo of Doom that's really really good. Um, so if you're if you're you know looking for something else to pick up just to kind of and I think they're really really faithful to the to the characters uh, and I did I haven't seen this yet and I really just didn't even realize it existed until I got on Disney Plus today and uh, you know punched in Rocketeer to to rewatch it this afternoon that there was a 22 episode Rocketeer animated series um, that is based on a young young kid who is the next Rocketeer. Um, so yeah, that's on Disney plus as well. So, uh, that kind of surprised me. Okay. I had heard about that a long time ago. I thought that never got made. That's on there though. It is on there all yeah, a full season, 22 episodes. Yeah. Is on Disney plus. Wow. Yeah. I had heard an announcement about that a long time ago and I thought nothing ever happened. That is crazy. There was rumors about a reboot of Rocketeer, you know, a couple of years ago and and I guess this is kind of what it was, maybe. I, I don't I don't know if there was something else to it or not. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't watched any of the episodes. Don't know if they're any good. I was surprised to see that many episodes. Um, so and I think it's from 2019 is what it is what yeah, it had. Right. In the, it's on here. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, so I don't know. I'd probably at some point in the, in the future, I'll, I'll add that to my, you know, watch list. And when yeah. I just have got nothing else going on, I'll sit down and watch those. See at least the first few and, and yeah. see if it's any good, you know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's weird. Yeah, I, I, IMDb has this movie at a 6.5, and I, I don't think that. I, I think that's it's way IMDb, better than yeah, that. Yeah, IMDb is wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is one that I can definitely rewatch. And, and of course, it's got uh, uh, Jan Levison Gould in it uh, from The Office, you know, singing. She's the lounge singer. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yes. 
Okay. Uh, one of her early roles. Speaking of well, uh, considering, I mean, if you were to put this movie up against some of the its contemporaries in that era, you know, like the Spirit, Dick Tracy, uh, gosh, what else was there? Phantom. The Phantom. I mean, this one, I haven't seen those other ones, but everything I've ever heard about them, this had, this probably is the top of the pack. You should I mean, watch them. <laughs> yeah, Dick, Dick Tracy holds up, I think. I mean, they had a really okay. good designer on that. And, uh, I, you know, they kind of threw everything they had into that movie. Um, and I feel like Dick Tracy holds up. Uh, the Phantom, not so much. Um, I think, you know, The Shadow was made around this time, too. Yeah, The Shadow, yeah. That's the Alec Baldwin Shadow, right? Yeah. That's another one. Again, I haven't watched that in a while, but I feel like that was, you know, a better one of these sort of. The spirit was made much later, later, right? Yeah, yeah. It was that post three hundred. Yeah, yeah, that was the Frank Miller one. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. There was, a, uh, there was a spirit TV pilot that I feel like was probably from around this time. You know, was there a Doc Savage movie ever around this time? <laughs> well, I think there. I think there was like one in the seventies, wasn't there? Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, I wouldn't be really contemporary with it, but. I know this this kind of had that feel too a little bit. I'm I'm sure they tried to avoid it a little bit, but it was pulpy and yeah. I just uh, I, I mean I'd love to review all those types of movies uh, in the next uh, year or so. Was, was that a thing in the comic? Or am I remembering this wrong? Was it implied that like Doc Savage is the one that created the rocket in the comics? Oh, well, I, I don't know. remember that at all. Am I thinking of something else? Maybe I don't know. I might be no, well, I might be off with that. I might be mis- misremembering that, but like the way Stevens, you know, would pull from pop culture like that, right? You know, yeah, that that I don't know. Like I don't think they called him Doc Savage. You know what I mean? I think it was just kind of implied. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we gonna we gonna grade this one or? Uh... Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm going near mint with this. I mean, I have a couple of nitpicky problems with it, but otherwise it's, you know, a good period piece. Uh, they had a decent budget on this. I feel like for the most part it holds up, you know, as far as production wise and everything. But yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm near mint as well. It's just I this is you know, this is probably Rocketeer is probably my favorite independent character. Um so I definitely uh, uh definitely enjoyed rewatching this. I've got to quit being last on this grading stuff because then I just sound like I'm repeating you guys. But I was going to say near mint, maybe near mint minus just because you don't want to set a bar that high all the time. But mm-hmm. this really was enjoyable. So I'm I'm good with near mint and I'm not copying you two guys. For record. Uh, but, yeah, when we talked about doing an older superhero movie and this came up, I was all for it, you know, immediately. Like, it's such a good film. And what Dan said means whenever he says, whenever we were talking, Dan said, hey, let's do the Rocketeer. And we said, yes. I think I'm the one that brought it up because I've oh, seen you? your oh, okay. Scott, your background. And I'm like, hey, why don't we oh, review yeah. that? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah, right. That's exactly yeah, right. I don't think I came up with it. It's funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong. I usually am wrong. So it's, you know. Like like in Zack Snyder stuff. I know I'm wrong, but that's the way I am. So <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we ready to move on to Fantastic Four? I think so. So yeah, so two, tw- 2021 is the 60th anniversary 
of uh, the Fantastic Four. So like we've been doing with a lot of other characters, we're going to look at some good stories from uh, the Fantastic Four's past. Uh, Mike, do you want to start on this one? or? Sure. I've got a full uh, index podcast review going from Fantastic Four number one to the present. So <laughs> buckle in. He's got eight pages of notes. Which, uh, which Fantastic Four number one, though, I guess, would be the question there. The OG. Yeah. No, it's that's you're not doing I, Heroes just, Reborn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding about all that. I um, you know, I I'm not as everyone knows, I'm not the Marvelite that I should be or would like to be or whatever for various reasons, but I am aspiring to be. So I got online like any true podcaster would uh, to try to get some ideas for what to review, what really jumps out, what's popular, and what people think are some good stories. And what I settled on, mostly because of the creative team, was uh, Fantastic Four Volume 1. I'm sorry, it should be Volume 3, but it's got Volume 1 numbering. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a storyline called Hereafter. Uh, it's, it's a three issues, 509 through 511. And it's by Mark Wade. Thumbs up. Mike Ringo. Thumbs up. Uh, so I thought, okay, this seems like something I really enjoy reading without having to be steeped in all of the, mar- um, you know, the mythology that goes with it. So anyway, this story's like I said, three three parts, and I'm really glad to do this group because they really are the heart and soul of the Marvel universe. Um, and I, you know, I I when I see them, I I, I there's a lot more appeal to this group and these characters than a lot of Marvel characters, especially being someone from looking in from the outside in. So uh, issue 509 is the first one. Uh, I'm going to go as quick as I can uh, without skipping too much, but it's uh, basically starts out with the aftermath of a six part storyline that had preceded it. The thing was possessed by Dr. Dr. Doom. So Mr. Fantastic had to use a weapon to, to basically kill his best friend and to stop doom. So the opening scene in this comic is is uh, Reed trying to revive his buddy, Finn. And before he can really do it, Nick Fury shows up and arrests Reed for his and the Fantastic Four's attempted coup uh, of Latveria to basically, even though their intentions were good, they really did, or Reed at least, he didn't tell the rest of the team what he was doing, but he went in there to, to tie, kind of straighten up the country without uh, anybody's permission. So the government didn't like that too much. So they scooped him up. And anyway, moving forward a few weeks in the story, uh, Reed's trying to revive or trying to figure out a way to bring back Ben. And, uh, he can't though, because his body's in the possession of the U S army. Uh, he ends up coming up with a plan through a dream. Uh, then you switch over to human torch and he's grieving Ben's death. And, you know, he has all these hallucinating conversations with him. And, uh, uh, you know, even though he's not, he knows they're not real, but he says he needs them to cope. Uh, then we switch over to Ben's on again, off again, love interest, Alicia Masters, um, who's basically, she is grieving by sculpting a bunch of statues, one after the other of uh, the thing. And at the same time, Sue is living with her, with her kids. Uh, because she doesn't want to be around Reed right now because he just immerses him well, himself into the work. Um, but she's also a little bit leery about staying with Alicia because of her 
mental health status or her grieving issues. Don't, she doesn't think it's great for the kids. And uh, then she gets uh, she gets a call um, from Johnny. Um, but then she lets it go to voicemail and she, oh, I'm sorry, she's talking to Johnny on the phone and she gets a call from Reed and he said, he's sorry about hiding all these things from the team. First thing I thought of was Batman and, you know, Tower of Babel and that storyline. He's got, you know, I get a little insight to Reed's character there. Um, and he's telling her how he's going to bring Ben back to life. And she doesn't like it. She thinks it's kind of creepy. She calls Johnny and they get together and they, find that uh, Reed has uh, stolen Ben's body back from the army and there's a little bit of life left in the body. So his plan is to take Doom's uh, device, some sort of some sort of transportation device that takes them to heaven to go find Ben Grimm. If I can stop right there, have you guys read this storyline? I have not. Yeah, I, I have. I've read uh, Mark Wade's run on Fantastic Four. And yeah, this is sort of post the unthinkable story with Dr. Doom uh, that was really good. So yeah, there's a, it's definitely feeding off of, you know, what came previously in the run. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I just, I, like I said, I'm still sort of new to this, but I enjoyed it very much. Um, again, there's two more issues, and I can really sum it up by saying that they get to heaven um and and they meet god right yeah it really yeah fast forward to first of all ben doesn't want to go back and they can't figure out why that ben can't get through the final door to get into heaven but they go back and forth as to whether it's because of the dot design was actually reeds or was it uh danny his brother his long dead brother was maybe doing something to keep him from getting through it or going back so there was a lot of neat storyline tricks going on through here um but at the last issue shows is basically uh after fighting their way through heaven and trying and, and a lot of the typical fantastic four infighting with the family and then making up they realize that the chaos is all because the fantastic four the remaining members were it's their emotions their sadness that's really keeping ben from getting through um so eventually ben says you know what uh he saves Read from falling into some pit or something. And he says, I'll go back, buddy. Uh, I'm not ready to, to go anyway. And so there in the last few scenes, you've got um, Reed, this door that they were supposed to go through to get to heaven. Um, Dan, Ben's brother, he makes an offer. He says, you know what? If I'll give you a chance to stay in heaven to be with Ben forever. But Reed declines because there's too many adventures out there. There's too many things to explore. And uh, and Dan says, you know what? That was the right answer. So, you know what? I want to open up uh, this door and you're going get, to get a chance to meet the creator. So, like you said, Dan, um, they actually get to meet a man who appears to be Jack Kirby working at a drawing board. Uh, he invites the, the superheroes into his home. And he's basically God, but he's in the image of Kirby because he says, that's what everybody kind of sees God as who they would relate to as their creator. And of course the fantastic four sees that as being, um, Jack Kirby. And, uh, is, is he referred to as God? Is he referred to as the one above all in these stories? I, I seem to remember creator was the word that was mostly used. Um, 
I read all this in a collection I got off Comixology. Um, so I, yeah, they, they definitely, it wasn't, it's not like Jack Kirby was God. It was just that they see the image of God as Jack Kirby. And, um, and so anyway, when the, uh, he explains to them about the creation, how he's represented, uh, how he's represented. And when they explain that, Hey, you look like this guy, Jack Kirby, he takes it as a great compliment. I thought that was a nice meta commentary. Um, you know, Johnny asks a bunch of his silly questions and then, then Kirby goes or God or whatever. He goes, hang on, I got to take a call. And it's obviously Stan Lee, his, his collaborator. Yeah, I thought that was a cool scene uh, They're So they're confused about all these drawings that he's got on his board. He explains how what he creates. That's how he creates things. He draws them. And then, um, you know, the final scene reads like I can't believe that the tool of creation is a pencil. And God explains that the greatest inventions were the most simple. And at this point, uh, Reed had a big burn scar on his eye from the previous storyline, I think. I don't know if it had been there for a while, but I'm thinking it's from that previous storyline. God slash Jack Kirby takes the eraser and erases the burn on Reed's face. And then God tells Ben he still has a lot of story left and begins redrawing him back as a thing, which, of course, Ben doesn't like that. And God says, hey, it's time for you to go. And. By the way, that device you used to get up here, it's not going to work anymore. <laughs> so, um, it, it, man, this this was really good. I, I'm i really happy to have read it. And um, it's just uh, what anyone that knows about the Fantastic Four, it's what you would expect. And if you don't know about the Fantastic Four, it's a nice, nice surprise of a good story. So it struck a chord with me. Wade was at his sentimental best. We're in clean style is appealing to me and um i recommend it to anybody thank you very much yeah that, that whole run is worth reading it's you know i think it's one of the top fantastic four runs um again i think it's also you know just part of the tragedy of losing losing go so young is that we don't get these reunion miniseries from them anymore or anything you know what i mean i would love to see follow-ups with them you know yeah I was really sad to hear that he had died. I didn't know that. I was looking up his history and oh, yeah. he died of a, a uh, he died of a, a condition that's like one in one hundred thousand. Yeah, it's that uh, air, uh, aortic aneurysm or something that that happened. So really sad. Oh, another just kind of quick thing for Waringo fans was a while back after it was after he passed. Um, Wade posted a um, Aquaman proposal that they had tried to get going a couple times. And Wade said, you know, I'm not going to do this without him. So he kind of put that um, proposal online. And so you can kind of read, you know, what could have been there. Oh, wow. Had they ever done uh, Aquaman like they wanted to? Well, I hope to see some more Wade with DC in the near future since he doesn't have that Dan DeDio obstruction anymore. Yeah, who knows? Dan, you next or am I going next? Uh, how about you go next? All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Fantastic Four issue 11. Um, and this is uh, the introduction of the Impossible Man to the Marvel uh, Universe. Um, and of course, you know, the Fantastic Four introduced so many concepts. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, to to the Marvel Universe, this is, you know, this is a series where we get Black Panther and the Inhumans and Dr. Doom and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. 
But uh, fairly early in my comic book reading career, I picked up a copy of X-Men Annual 8. Um, and this was a impossible, it was an annual with the impossible man and basically the impossible man comes to earth and he's going on an intergalactic scavenger hunt. So he's stealing things like Nick Fury's eye patch and stuff like that for this scavenger hunt. But <laughs> so, so this character though was introduced in fantastic four, number 11, uh, and it's actually the second story, uh, in the issue. So it's not even a full length um, a full-length comic story, but it's written by Stan Lee, art by uh, Jack Kirby, and ink by Dick Ayers. Um, and we, it's, it's, you know, it has that uh, early Silver Age uh, sensibility to it, where you know, Impossible Man just shows up one day on Earth, and he's basically, you know, sees a bunch of bums, uh, and he's like, "Hey, I'm hungry from traveling so far. Can I have some of your food?" And they're like, "If you want our food, you got to give us cash." And he's like, he doesn't understand the term. Uh, cash. So he just goes to a bank, uh, walks in, basically walks into the vault, and then just leaves with a whole, with bags full of cash, so he can go get some food because that's what he thinks he needs to do. So, um, of course, the Fantastic Four, being the protectors of New York, kind of get alerted to this. So uh, they go about their, you know, fisticuffs, um, and they really can't hurt the Impossible Man because he can basically change shape, change form, do you know just about uh, just about whatever he wants. Uh, so they really don't have an, an answer an answer to him. Uh, so finally, he like Impossible Man. Um, they I guess the Human Torch does something where it kind of knocks him out of the air. So he's kind of briefly stunned, and Reed Richards, you know, comes over to him concerned uh, that maybe he's been hurt, and like Impossible Man's like, oh, you actually do. You were worried about me, and you care. And it's like I've been. He's like I've been having so much fun here. I'm going to tell all my other Popupians that they should come here for <laughs> vacation. Um, so Reed figures out what we need to do is just ignore this guy. So for the rest of the issue, it's impossible man doing stuff and everybody else is just ignoring him. So it's like, so they basically bore impossible man into leaving the planet. Um, so it's a very, obviously a very quirky character. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, uh, he's not super well uh, well known, I think, even in the Marvel uh, universe. I'm not even for sure when the last time he even appeared in a Marvel book was. Um, but and then he's also, I mean, the the basis of the character is there, but some things have changed. So like modern interpretations of the character, uh, whenever he shape changes, he can only be green and purple. Uh, in this issue, he changes color and and like uh, so he can't do that in kind of the modern version um, of this character, but. It's just a character that I just remember enjoying um, back in my earlier comic book reading days. Um, and I thought, you know, it's that, so it's an issue that I actually have in my collection, you know, Fantastic Four number 11. Um, so it's a good book. It's it's a funny read. And it's just how, you know, not everything was solved in these early issues with fists, you know, so. Uh, this time it's ignored it and it went away. <laughs> he, he reminds me of a combination of one of those strange adventures or mystery in space aliens with a sort of Mitchell Pitlick, uh, Mr. Mr. or something, you know, with, mm -hmm. you know, it can do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason for the Mr. Mixes Pitlick connection, I think. Too, oh, where there was a, a Superman story in the nineties that implied that impossible man is Mr. Mixes Pitlick. <laughs> they show really? sort of a quick cameo where they kind of show the feet or something of the Fantastic Four, 
And then when Mixius Pit, then when he comes to the DC universe, he's Mr. Mixius Pitlick, implying <laughs> that it's the same character, but he takes these different forms in different dimensions. Okay, what what story was that in? Because I like that. Man, that might have been. I feel like it was. I. It's probably Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. Yeah. Yes, where um. Mixus Pitlick tells Luther he will be the equal of Superman with red kryptonite, and he in again yeah. post crisis where there's only green kryptonite. Mixus Pitlick makes red kryptonite, where Luther thinks it will give him powers, but what it does is it strips Superman of his powers, thereby making Superman Luther's equal because they're both just men now. But uh, yeah, I want to say I might be wrong. It might be another one from around that time, but I feel like that's the time frame for that. So, but I yeah, like that concept. I don't, I don't know that Marvel has ever played into that at all, but I think I think it was just like a fun thing that DC guys did, you know, on Superman at the time. Yeah, because yeah, they, they are similar characters. Yeah, Impossible Man is a character in Marvel. Historically, to me, he's been used whenever the comic needs to take a break from a serious storyline and do something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, you know, there's a storyline where Galactus uh, eats. Uh, impossible man's world and it gives him indigestion and <laughs> you know so it's just it's yeah they they've done some different stuff with this character so <laughs> nice all right dan well i think you know kind of piggybacking off uh, what scott was saying about um fantastic four introducing a lot of concepts uh my story kind of does that too uh so i'm going to be looking at ultimate fantastic four and again, when we said we we're going to do this, like first thing I was like, oh, there's a Wade Waringo story I can do. And then Mike said he was going to do a Wade Waringo story. <laughs> okay, oh, there's a Lee Kirby. And then Scott said he was going to do a Lee Kirby issue. <laughs> so I really felt obligated to pick a different era of Fantastic Four teams. And so I went with Ultimate Fantastic Four. And this is the story called Crossover from uh, issues 21 through 24. And this is by Mark Miller and Greg Land and uh, Matt Ryan on inks. And so uh, this story sort of starts out with um, the Fantastic Four back in the past sort of fighting dinosaurs. And they, uh, there are some terrorists who have gone back in time and are threatening uh, the first creature that came out of the sea if they don't get paid their money. You know, basically stopping evolution dead in its tracks and, you know, humanity will never exist. Um, so the Fantastic Four defeats them, uh, brings them back to the present and kind of turns them over to the Ultimates. Which, you know, at the time, this is the ultimate version of the Avengers. Um, and uh, we see uh, they're sort of starting to become celebrities here. But this version of the Fantastic Four worked at the Baxter Building, and it was sort of part of a think tank uh, run by the government and sort of a bunch of uh, Fortune 500 companies. And so, like, they have people they have to answer to. And so uh, Sue and Johnny's dad is, you know, one of the directors here and kind of gives Reed a hard time for... You know, what were you doing going back in the past? You're supposed to be developing stuff. You're not superheroes. That's the ultimate's job. You know, so we already start off with some tension here between uh, the Fantastic Four and, you know, their taskmasters here, if you will. Um, not the taskmaster. But uh, we, you know, learn over the course of the story that Reed has been communicating with another version of Reed Richards. And so there, this was kind of a thing at the time with the Ultimate Universe where everybody's asking, like, oh, are they ever going to cross over with the, you know, Marvel 616? 
you know, will we ever get that? And, you know, Marvel's answer was always no. The Ultimate Universe is its own thing. You know, we're, we're not going to do that. But, you know, it's Marvel. And eventually they did. So everybody was thinking, you know, this will this is coming eventually. And so the story hadn't been promoted that way. It's just called Crossover. And here you see Reed talking to what looks like the 616 regular, you know, classic version of Reed. So it's like, oh, are they sneaking in? You know, is this how they're going to do like a crossover? Just kind of sneak it in here. And so we read, we learned that uh, Ultimate Reed Richards has been talking to the sort of regular Reed Richards for a while. And the sort of uh, classic Reed has told him how to construct this teleportation device, basically. And so then Reed goes to this other universe to meet, you know, Reed Richards, you know, sort of the classic version. Uh, he gets there, and the Baxter building is just like destroyed. It's empty and abandoned. And uh, he gets out on the street. There's just, like, chaos and destruction everywhere. Bodies lying in the street. Like, something terrible has happened here. You know, but he doesn't know what. Uh, on the last page here, we see uh, zombie versions of the Fantastic Four. So this is what would become to known, come to be known as the Marvel Zombies universe. And Reed has kind of been, you know, Ultimate Reed Richards has sort of been tricked into uh, coming to this world. Uh, because they have sort of um, used up their food supply and are reaching out to other Earths to sort of uh, infect now. Uh, so over the course of the story, Reed realizes, you know, what's going on. Uh, there's some sort of a quick backstory given with the Sentry, which would be explored later on in some of the Marvel Zombies one-shots of miniseries and things. But, you know, learned that, you know, this virus has spread to the superheroes and they've kind of just destroyed the world in a couple days, basically. Um, Ultimate Reed Richards finds, um, comes across Magneto and uh, a lot of uh, survivors that they've got holed up in, like, a train station underground. Uh, but, yeah, the big thing here is, you know, the introduction of the Marvel Zombies and it's just, you get sort of a fun take on, you know, like an evil Fantastic Four. Uh, again, the ultimate version of the Fantastic Four follows Reed when he's gone for so long. And um, we have the thing facing off with Zombie Hulk in the streets. And the thing is, uh, Magneto's about to attack Hulk and things like, uh, now step aside. I always wondered if I could take this freak. <laughs> and so, you know, we get a pretty quick uh, thing Hulk fight here. You know, which they hadn't done in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, so, yeah, just sort of a fun thing. And then at the end, they realize, hey, we can take our the teleporter back and we can we can escape this with the survivors. And at the end, Magneto, you know, the zombie universe, Magneto realizes he has to stay behind so that the zombies can't use the teleporter to go back to the Ultimate Universe. So at the end, Magneto sacrifices himself and destroys the machine. And uh, really, kind of the only weak part of this story, I think, is the last page, where at the end we see uh, Sue and Johnny's long-lost mom shows up. And so uh, the last page is sort of a shock Sue storm. And now Greg Land is known for using photo reference. And again, that's something a lot of artists do. It's, it's a tool. It's not stealing or, you know, other misconceptions people have about it. The issue with Greg Land is he uses a lot of very mainstream references, you know, photography references of models and things like that, like supermodels and things. So it's easy to kind of track down what he's used for references. And so I think he gets a worse reputation for that than he deserves. But this last page was obviously from some model, and I don't feel like it 
it is as effective as it could have been. But again, that's my only real issue with this story is the last page of it. And the story is really good. I feel like it still holds up. Again, it was the introduction to the Marvel Zombies universe, which Marvel did a lot with for a while. And they recently did the other, you know, Resurrection miniseries. And, you know, Mark Miller's the kind of the creator of this. And, you know, Robert Kirkman did a lot of the Marvel Zombies stuff there for a while with them. And, you know, I remember Miller being interviewed at the time, like, how do you feel that they're taking the zombies and running with them like this? And he's just like, that's great. You know, he's like, that's what Lee and Kirby did back in the day. They set up all this stuff that, you know, evolved and continued in other series. You know, he was just talking about he was happy that that was happening with this. Um, again, it's like just sort of like a whole spinoff thing from the Ultimate Universe. And, you know, especially now that it's gone, you know, there's you know less of that. Uh, but yeah, and again, it was a fun way to kind of tease a crossover that readers were wanting there for a while, and it was a good twist on that. And again, you know, eventually Marvel kind of ran the zombies thing into the ground like they do with things that get popular. Uh, but again, the introduction here was a lot of fun. For quite a while there, I was getting all the Ultimate books. You know, the quality was really good for a long time. And I feel like this, this story is definitely a standout of that Fantastic Four run. And you said and you this said is issue 21, Dan? This is 21 through 24. It's just like a four-part story. And again, it's a smaller story, especially for the Ultimate books, but it's really good, and it's a different kind of thing. You know, and you just see them fighting, you know, zombie versions of themselves and sort of the classic Marvel Universe in there. So, and again, characters that hadn't, you know, shown up in the Ultimate Universe necessarily either. And again, just seeing them kind of interact with classic Marvel, but this sort of dark, twisted version of it. Yeah. But yeah, and again, I feel like, you know, since the Ultimate line ended, you don't hear a lot about it anymore. I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man, you do. That's mostly just because we have Miles Morales now in the regular universe and, you know, with the bigger media presence in movies and games with that character. But there's still a lot of good stuff in there that I feel like has kind of been forgotten over the years now. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, I just uh, sent that issue, the 21, into CGC for grading. So, yeah. waiting for that to get back. Good time. <laughs> yeah, a long wait. <laughs> well, we want to wrap this episode up talking about what we've been reading. You guys been reading anything good lately? Or? I, for once, have been reading a ton of stuff. So, I don't know yeah. if I should go first, go last, or, or oh. what. So, um that seems like reading a ton of stuff is your normal, Scott. I mean, you, you've been reading Captain America from front to back. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been continuing that. So it's like I'm up to I think I'm back at 296 or something like that. I forgot to write down what the last issue that I read. So I'm about ready to hit issue uh, uh, 300, which I'm getting close. Yeah, there's, there's some Red Skull stuff right around then, right? There's Red Skull stuff all over the place. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> right around 300, I thought there was that longer story of Red Skull in there. And like, there is. Nomad's right around then, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I actually I was just on the issue where Jack uh, Monroe yeah. comes back. So that was like, I mean, I'm in the 280s. You know what? I'm in the 280s. I'm at 283 oh. is oh, okay. the issue um, that I'm, that I'm at. I think I, maybe I have to just finish 282. You got some Madcap stuff coming up, too, I think, in there, isn't there? Yeah. Pretty soon. Yeah. 
that'll be coming up real soon. Um, I just spoiled myself because I was trying to find the issue number, and I just noticed that Sharon Carter is back on the on the cover of issue 283. It looks like, and well, she's supposed to have been dead at this point. Uh oh. Yeah. So that spoiled myself. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's been it's been pretty good. You know, Cap's being my favorite character, I'm probably a little bit biased to that. Uh, and then I caught up on the well, I'm not I'm up to issue 24 on the current run of Captain America. I've been reading that as well. Um, so that's the Tana Heisey Coates run. Um, I I like it. I just wish they had a better artist on it. Uh, his um, the artist on the current run, his action sequences, they're very, they're I don't know, they're not. Uh, you don't feel the movement. It's like it's posed. You know, it's like so. Yeah. It's one of those type of things where somebody's jumping, and it's just like they're frozen. They feel like they're frozen in air as opposed to actually jumping. Kind of one of those things. Um, I read a comic, Adventure Man from uh by matt fraction uh it kind of was a weird start because like it it was like a pulp story kind of like rocketeer but then after a few pages it actually that was the story that the main characters of the book adventure man are reading and then there are some ties back to um like that they find out some things that maybe these this group of adventurers um actually may exist and there are some ties to these stories um, I only read the first issue, but with it being Matt Fraction, that was it was actually pretty good. Um, of course, we've been reading Strange Adventures. I am up to issue eight on Strange Adventures, and I'm I'm kind of getting a little iffy on this series because um, I did not like the turns that issue seven and eight take. Um, there's a book called Alienated from Boom. I read the first issue of that. I don't really have anything to say about it. it you know, not that wasn't that great, but. You know, to each their own. Uh, Bang number one, which is the Matt Kent book um, from Dark Horse. Um, I've, I've read so much, and sometimes I'm not exactly remember. It seems like this is one where um, you have these various uh, secret agents, and they're kind of just um, uh, oh, it's like there's been multiple versions of the same character whenever they die off. Uh, but it was it was good, real solid storytelling. Uh, I finally finished the Tom King run of Batman. Oh, yes, yeah, so I finally read through. Um, what was it? Eighty six was his last yeah. issue, right? So I finally got through eighty six of uh, Batman. That was that was good. I was glad to finally uh, catch up with that. And then I read the Batman Secret Files too, as part of catching up on my Tom. Oh, King's that was story. the City of Bane. City of Bane tie-in, um, you know, in that Batman Secret Files. So we had a lot of little, you know, uh, shorter stories of uh, some of the various Bat villains. That's that a, was only some I picked up only because Dan told me. I was yeah, that, that was a good issue that we we still have some copies of the store at that, and that's that's definitely worth picking up. I feel like the ties to the City of Bane story were kind of tenuous in there, but there is a really good Riddler story in there where you can't figure out what the riddle is in that if you read it. You know, so, I haven't uh, I haven't sat down and tried to I noticed that I haven't sat down yeah. and actually tried to figure that out yet. So <laughs> yeah, and the and the writer did you know people have. Uh, checked with the writer on that and they did acknowledge what it is online with that so uh, you know after we read the you know the first trade of uh, velvet i you know i've read the second trade of that yeah. as well that right. still continues to be solid i need to need to finish that up haven't done that yet um caught up on firepower so i've read through issue eight on firepower somni and uh, kirkman's uh, book i'm i'm definitely still enjoying that uh finished the first story art for blade runner 2019 um <laughs> and it's, that's one that 
you know, I'm probably going to like it no matter what, just because I like Blade Runner stuff. So, but it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Introduced a new, uh, introduces a new Blade Runner. Um, so it's, it's good. Um, <laughs> there was a one shot from, uh, DK three, uh, the golden child that I hadn't read yet. It was, it had been in my two read pile for quite a while. Um, you're a better man than I am. Well, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> I, I gave up on DK three about halfway through that run. Really? So I really enjoyed it. Um, I couldn't keep, I mean, I got tired of trying to, I had yeah, it's like you when you talk about Doomsday Clock. I mean, it's except I actually had a, there was appeal to Doomsday Clock for me that would I didn't mind rereading just to get caught up. I, I didn't really find myself inclined to do that with DK three, but you know I might get a you know I might get the collection or something and and think differently. It, had, it had an interesting take on you know you had a a new I'm gonna say new Batman, but it was a female Batman, um, mm. and then you had you know. Uh, Superman to Wonder Woman's daughter, and then they had a, a, a there was another child that was um, like this uh, superpower one who basically is responsible for delete, de- uh, defeating Darkseid. So, yeah. um, so I thought it was real. I, I really enjoyed the story. Um, there is a sword uh, fantasy story, a uh, Berserker Unbound from Image. I didn't care for it at all. Um, it's basically if you want that, read Conan. But this one, the the barbarian gets sent to modern times. Um, that doesn't happen until the end of the issue. Um, there was a I bought I picked up this one because the artist uh, Colleen Duran did the art on a on a series oh, called like the Clock. Yeah, so I read the first issue. Um, I don't know if it's just there's it, it's probably a matter of timing because this has been out for a little while. And I'm just not getting to read it. Um, but it's about a worldwide plague. <laughs> so uh, what? I've never yeah. heard of such a thing. Yeah, no kidding. There's such a thing happens. Um, but this was a plague that was related to cancer. It's like a fast spreading cancer. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm not going to continue on that one. But the but the art is the art is solid on it. And if, I'm sure if you're a Colleen Duran fan, then you probably want to pick that up. And then the last thing. Uh, William Gibson did a screenplay treatment uh, for a third Alien movie, um, and I had uh, missed an issue. So I finally got around to ordering the issue that I had missed so I could sit down and read this. Um, and it's definitely better than the third Alien movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you uh, are somebody who... Uh, did not care for the third alien movie. Uh, the thing I like best about it is uh, that the opening scene is not the fact that Hicks and Newt are dead, you know, so they're, <laughs> they're around. Uh, they're not major characters and neither is Ripley uh, in this story, um, but there are still alive at the, at the start and through this particular issue. And in fact, um, it's actually uh, uh, Hicks who is kind of, of those three, kind of the important character um, um, out of those three for this particular story. So um, really good. I thought it was really good. Again, I, I'm biased towards William Gibson stuff, so um, that may be why I liked it quite a bit. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I've, like I said, I've been reading ton of stuff, and that's, you know, you know, probably since, you know, since last Sunday, I, in addition to, this is since last time we did this, what we've been reading, but, uh, you know, I've you know, how many, probably 50 to 75 issues of Captain America, just the older run on top of this as well. So, 
<laughs> lots of stuff. Um, I probably should. Uh, I feel like I should go back and pick up more issues of Bang, um, and maybe that adventure, adventure Man comic because it is Matt Fraction. Um, so it's uh, good, and I, I really definitely need to pick up that or and pick up to read that third. And I think final velvet uh, trade out of the stuff that I had been reading. So, is there any one of those that you would, if you had to pick one, to recommend to the listeners to read? Well, for general audience, I would actually probably, you know, go with velvet. I think um, that was Dan's suggestion. I'm so glad he picked that for us to talk about um, one episode. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like all the time thinking i need to get to that third trade i need to get to that third trade um so out of all those i think that's probably be the the one that i would recommend the most um and i feel like adventure Man's going to be fun um but again i've only read the first issue so i don't want to put a whole lot of uh emphasis on that till i read a little bit more gotcha and and firepower is good so yeah i haven't read any of that so <laughs> i've heard you guys talk about it You want me to go, Dan, or do you want to go? Uh, yeah, how about you go ahead? Okay, so uh, I don't know how many items you have, but I'm, I, I can tell you, I wrote like a paragraph or two on each for each thing, but I won't I won't talk a paragraph or two. Uh, the first thing is Sham 80-page Giant. I owe, once again, uh, this to as a recommendation from Dan. Sham is a, it's basically a, um, they take classic golden age characters using the original art and they redo it in sort of a satirical irreverent way. And this 80 page giant had characters like Bozo, the robot or Bozo, the robot lingerie lass, which is basically meant to be phantom lady. Um, and it's a phantom lady story. So yeah. Uh, Ray gun jr. I don't know if that's, I don't know who that is uh, of the space force. Johnny Sassback. And the secret origin of Captain Attaway, which is Captain Marvel slash Shazam. And I got to tell you, this is some funny, funny, cool stuff that not only lets you have a good time with it, but you get to see some good art that you wouldn't normally see. And it's all public domain characters that they're allowed, to, you know, from the 40s and 50s. And they rewrite them. And they I mean, this is pretty inventive stuff. And uh, I mean, it's just. I don't know. I, I enjoyed the heck out of that 80 page giant. I'm probably going to start picking up each issue. Uh, Dan, did you, uh, did you, have you read all of them or you just kind of randomly picked one up? No, I've, I got the first couple back when they came out. I saw them in the previews when we were kind of going over that stuff. And then I just kind of lost track of it for a while. And then the 80 page giant came out and I got that again. And, you know, I went back and ordered the rest of them that I was missing, but yeah, they are, I mean, they are golden age stories, so they take a while to get through. This isn't a five-minute read like a lot of books are now. Right. So I've kind of taken my time with them too, you know. But it's so worth it. I mean, there. I mean, some are better than others, but I got. I mean, and it's pretty. It could be kind of. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, I don't want to say vulgar. It's just kind of like. You know, it, it can get pretty dicey. Uh, you know, you wouldn't show this to your nephew or niece. Yeah, it can so. get a little, get a little risque in there sometimes. Yeah, right. So, all right. The next story or next series is Inkblot. Now, I only picked this up, A, because I looked, seen it on our previews. And uh, I thought, well, I need to put my money where my mouth is. And just, you know, instead of talk about something, I'm going to actually buy it. 
And it's um, what drew me to it was Emma Kubert as the artist. She's a third generation artist, um, granddaughter of Joe Kubert, daughter of, I'm ashamed to say, I don't know if it's Adam or Andy, but she's either a daughter or a nephew to either one of them. So, um, and the writer's resting. Or maybe a niece. I mean, a niece. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. Um, anyway, so this is an ongoing series that follows, a uh, this young sorceress Well, she looks young, but she's actually hundreds of years old and she's trying to correct her big mistake, which is somehow she created in a dream, a magical cat that travels through time, space, reality, and this cat hijinks, uh, creates hijinks everywhere. Um, it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, it is fun. It's just. It's a little bit rough around the edges. It's not as, it's not like um, I would compare it to maybe a le- as a less, a more innocent and less vulgar version of Rat Queens, if you've ever seen, read that. Um, it's all fantasy, sword and sorcery stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I got it and I'm going to continue getting it because I enjoy it. Uh, interestingly, they the creative team uses a, sort of a version of the Marvel method where Kubert plots and draws the story in pencil, then Glad inks and writes the dialogue. So it's it's kind of a more 50-50 collaboration. Um, so, uh, I mean, a back and forth type deal. So, uh, so far, so good. Next is a Justice League of America 100 Greatest Moments. Um, it's a big coffee table book, and it's edited by Bob Greenberger. And these moments, what I didn't know is that they're chosen by nominations from like fan groups and former JLA writers like Mark Wade, Kurt Busiek, J.M. DiMatteis, Bob Rosakis, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. However, I'm a little, my OCD nature makes me irritated when they have, they've had more than a few errors in like captions below photographs or not photographs, but like, you know, images of, um, scenes they they might reference a you know a new 52 era scene and it's actually from a different era so they've had four or five of those those mistakes already and i've only i'm only about a third of the way through this but overall it's my type of book it's it's history it's comics it's all that goodness and then uh generations shattered is the first of a two-part series where um, in the first issue, it's, it's a big square bound, um, book. I don't know how many pages it is, but it's big and it's kind of got a patchwork quilt of nostalgia characters. You've got the thirties, Batman, Starfire from the eighties, pre-crisis Superboy, meaning young Superman. You got a pre-Sinestro, Sinestro, meaning he's a Green Lantern. You got nineties Steel, Commandy, Booster Gold, and Dr. Light, not the bad guy, Dr. Light, but, uh, Kamiyo Hoshi. And they're all it's it's almost like a, a remake of Crisis in a way, but they're like dipping into stories that weren't told during Crisis. It's it's hard to describe, but it's very enjoyable. I would recommend it to anyone. So I want to skip over a couple other DC things I'm reading because I'm really DC centric and I'm going to go straight to Department of Truth. This guy named uh, Cole Turner has uh, he's he's basically studied conspiracy theories all his life, um, but he's not he's basically abducted and and recruited by the um, by the Department of Truth 
and each issue is a highlights a different conspiracy theory from the JFK assassination to flat earth and reptilian shapeshifters. I can't think of a more um, appropriate uh, type story for this day and age. It's almost too close to the mark and makes it just about it uh, as scary as it sounds because it sounds plausible that people believe this stuff. But I, I do recommend it because it's it's pretty interesting. So um, that's from Image, just as uh, just like Inkblot was. So that's what I got. I got a few more things, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna leave it for next time or maybe a more in depth. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh, as far as what I've been reading, I'm a little concerned. I won't go too into detail here because I feel like what I've got to talk about is what I'm always talking about on the previews casts. You know, like um, I've been reading up Future State right now, all of that. You know, I think it's kind of hits and misses in there, which is what I would figure. But, you know, there's some good concepts in there. And it's like I've been reading comics for 30 years. Give me some new stuff. You know, I'm ready for some new takes on these characters and things. So uh, and again, you know, as we've seen in some of the solicitations coming after this, some of this stuff is carrying over. What's your favorite Future State, Dan? Or what are the ones that are at least worth reading? Well, right. I'll say for sure, uh, not my favorite is The Flash <laughs> because of the way they're continuing to head to Wally West. Uh, but yeah, again, I'm, I'm kind of liking the Batman stuff in there. Um, I do, I just, you know, and sort of like with Justice League, I like the idea of, you know, the next generation of heroes. You know, what was supposed to be 5G come out of this. Again, Legacy has been such an important part of DC. That I'm, you know, I'm disappointed we're not getting this sort of uh, next wave of heroes, you know, that seemed like that was the plan there for a while. Uh, you know, I mean, I grew up with Wally West and, uh, you know, it's just like you don't get to Wally West if Barry's around all the time. You know, I don't feel like you get to the next right. thing. You know, you don't get Nightwing if Dick Grayson doesn't grow up and, you know, leads to Jason Todd and Tim Drake. And, you know, Tim Drake is my Robin that I grew up with. You know, it's like I'm fine with, you know, sort of a shift here with this. But if I if I had my choice, it would have been Barry Allen that was that actually went away instead of Wally during right. Heroes in Crisis. I mean, it's just I was OK with him coming back for the sake of a story, but yeah. don't keep him back. I'm liking the Green Lantern book, um, even though they've kind of taken it's the thing of like. All the power, you know, something has happened. The power battery is destroyed or none of the rings are powered now. So they're kind of having to learn how to be heroes without the rings. And I'm, I'm typically not a fan of that where they just sort of take away, you know, the rings from the Green Lanterns because that's kind of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, I know this is only like a two issue thing. Uh, and so I think it's a decent story now. There's a good backup story with Guy Gardner on a planet and his, he loses his power. And so he's kind of stranded on this planet, but he's there for years for like 25 years. And he sort of brings peace to these two sort of warring tribes on the planet. And it's, it's really just sort of a, not what you sort of an hour out of character guy Gardner story where it's like, he's forced to kind of step up and kind of be the mediator between these, you know, groups of people on this planet. Uh, and it's just sort of a fun, you know, and, you know, he gets frustrated along the way with them and stuff like that. And, 
they still won't really like interact with each other, but you know, there's sort of this tenuous piece that he's been able to maintain. So it's just sort of a fun, different kind of story with guy. Uh, again, I'm liking the Batman stuff, but again, that's sort of, you know, what I'm all about, especially with DC. Uh, but yeah, and again, you know, they're not all great, but there's good stuff in there, which is kind of what I expected. Uh, again, still reading Firepower from Image, still, you know, kind of the first book I read when it comes out. Um, I've been going back on Marvel Unlimited and reading Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man run. Uh, so I'm kind of reading that from the beginning. I'm a little ways into that now. Um, uh, this week, we got the Radiant Black number one came out from Image. That was a book I was looking forward to. Uh, when we talked about the previous episode, it's a you know it's a good first issue here. It's a good start. I'm really interested to see where this goes. And again, I'm all for a superhero comic that doesn't have 80 years of baggage necessarily. You know, I'm fine with some new concepts. Seeing where that goes. Um, yeah, I'm behind. I'm behind on a lot of stuff though too. I got a lot of new stuff I haven't gotten to yet. That's kind of. Scary. I don't know why. I know, right? Uh, again, you know, the Maestro books from Marvel have been really good. All the I'm liking most of the villain books they're doing. Some of them have, you know, started to wrap up now, but, like, we still have the Taskmaster miniseries and Black Cat. Uh, yeah, I was feeling pretty good. I'd made a dent in my two-read pile here lately, right. and then I got in all my Future State stuff, and it's like, oh. right. <laughs> Finding the time, you know. Yep. Yep. Yeah, my my I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but the, the size of a two read pile, mine's about fourteen inches tall right now. I don't know if that compares. But yeah. And you know, Fantastic Four, you know, Dan Slott's still been really good. I'm still enjoying that book. Um you know. There's the you know, the Wolverine Black, White and uh Blood miniseries. You know, it's sort of their Batman black and white version. You know, that those have been really good. And again, you know, there's the new Batman Black and White miniseries out now from DC. Uh, and again, those are usually pretty good. So definitely check those out. Yeah, I think I think that's about it. But yeah. You were talking about, uh, Mike, you were talking about how Department of H, you know, felt timely. It's it, 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 Captain America. You mean I Department mean, of Truth? I'm sorry, yes. What did I say? Department of H. H. I think you meant Department H. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you mean like Dial H for Hero no, or something? Yeah, Department <laughs> of Truth. Man, I don't know what I, where that came from. Uh, Isn't that Alpha Flight or something? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Department of Truth. Uh, you talked about it being, you know, timely for what's going on. It's like I get the same feeling sometimes reading some of these older, you know, Cap comics, though not quite um, as mature storytelling, but there are right. – race issues and there are you know they're dealing with riots and right know, all of these things and you think oh this is just something you, you, you we got to remember this is not new this has always been going on sure you know right um so the internet this, makes it so much more accessible is all mm-hmm. it was just so much slower to hear about it you know back at this you know back whenever these books these older cap books were being you know printed than what we here we know about within seconds if you're you know somebody who lives on twitter so Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were I knew you had been reading it too, so Well, are we done for this episode? I think that's about it. Unless anyone else had anything to bring up this time. 
Yeah, nope. so we'll be back soon with some more fun stuff to talk about. And again, getting ever closer to episode 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, the store is open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 5. And we are located at 816 East Main Street, Suite B in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, if you want to give us a call. And again, you know, if you don't want to come in, we, you know, we'll do curbside or whatever to accommodate people. That's fine. And our number is 618-457-6011. And as always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, Scott, where can people find you if they need to reach uh, out? Well, first, apologies to everybody who had trouble with episode 94. I had a file name error in Uh-oh. my upload, so it didn't. Uh, I posted that it was available, and I got a message saying, hey, I can't listen to the last episode, and that was my fault. So uh once i knew about it i got it corrected but uh for some of you episodes 94 and 95 are going to feel like they are just stacked back to back on top of each other uh (laughs) so yeah so apologies uh for that and in spite of my error uh we would appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode to you know pop us a review on whatever um, platform you are listening to whether it be itunes or now youtube um because they got rid of the the what the the play music app. So, um, or on Amazon or whatever, again, whatever your platform of choice is, it'd be great if you'd leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can find me at bergcomics.com, B U R G comics.com. And it has links to all of my Instagram, Facebook, eBay store pages. And Mike, what about you? I'm at the uh, ever popular Mike Atchison five on Twitter. And this is Dan Brown. You can find me online at Detective651 on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, tpublic.com slash user slash Detective651. And uh, I really wish they could give me a shorter address than that, but that's (laughs) how we are. Uh, And, you know, I got all kinds of nerdy T-shirts on there. Uh, I may have something uh, referring to something we talked about on this episode on there if you want to check that out. Uh, I recommend it. Yeah, and there's some uh, sales coming up, too, so always keep an eye out for that. And sometimes there's sales I don't even know about till they happen. So <laughs> follow me on social media, but also check out the site now and then. You know, if there's something you want. Uh, and, again, I think it's also uh, first-time orders are always 15% off, too, if there's something you see on there you want to get. But, yeah, and, of course, and as always, I always appreciate that. You know, anybody picks up anything off of there, it's always a good time for me. And uh, so that's it for this time. We'll see you soon. Bye. I'm gonna let that record for just a second, in case we say something clever, because we kind of kind of started recording and it went straight into it. So yeah, I had somebody actually message me today. Say, hey, I was trying to listen to the last episode and had trouble. So, really? Yeah, I should have texted you. I forgot. I noticed that I, I haven't listened to the last few. Just I, don't, I haven't had the time or whatever. I don't go on as many walks because of the weather. But normally I listen to at least a little bit of it. But uh, that first one, I or that one you're talking about, I, I should have texted you and said it wasn't working. Uh, it was probably like three days before I noticed it. Though. Yeah, I almost bad as that was a previous episode too. So mm-hmm. um, so anyway, um, but anyway, it's up now and it's working now. The problem is, is like I, I switch. I used to get in, I had to get an Internet Explorer because it has an RSS reader, whereas a lot of the other browsers have removed that capability from it. So, and I'd go in and i click on the link. So I found this website where I could subscribe to RSS feeds. So I subscribed and refreshed, and it showed up that there was a new episode in the feed. So I was like, great, everything's fine. And didn't bother to push play. 
because I don't know. So if I would just push play, uh, now I know I've learned my lesson. So I'll push play from now on, make sure it actually plays. Well, Scott, your pay has been cut in half. Yeah, I know. Right. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. And Dan, I didn't know if you were hot or if you were farting in the room because you kept opening that door. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go outside for a second. I'll take care of it. Uh, <laughs> I will be here in a minute.